This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 365. And the quote of the day is, sometimes you have to take a step backwards in order to take a step forward. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? It is Nick Ruffini. This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope you're well. Episode 365. Thanks for being a part of it. That is, every time I say these numbers, it blows my mind that there's 365 of these episodes and you're still listening and you're still putting up with my voice. So that I appreciate. Also, I want to hit you to one quick thing that I'm doing a lot of Instagram live videos now. I've been doing, I well, not a lot. I've done three, I think, so far, but uh, I'm going to be doing them on a very regular basis. So if you're not following along on Instagram, you can do that. Just go to Drummer's Resource, at Drummer's Resource on Instagram. And some will be topic-based and some will just be an open format where I'll just sit there and we can chat about some different things and answer some questions. And the main reason why I want to do it, because this podcast is one-way communication. I talk, you listen, that's it. Doesn't feel like a conversation to me. So I want to be interacting with you more. So the only way, I mean, there's a couple of ways that we can do that, but Instagram Live seems like a really cool way to do that. Obviously, if you email me, I can email you back, but Instagram Live is like real deal interactive. Plus you can interact with other people on the Instagram live feed. I can pull you into the conversation, all sorts of cool stuff. So follow along on Instagram at drummers resource. Also, if you have topics that you want me to cover on Instagram live stuff, just let me know and we'll be sure to do that. Now that that business is taken care of, let's get into this conversation. This conversation is with Steven Taylor and he is the instructor at Steven's Drum Shed. And this is a great conversation about it. So the quote, you know, the quote of the day was sometimes you have to take a step backwards before you can take a step forward. And Steven did just that. He was drumming. He quit. He went into physical fitness, went into to become a personal trainer, then got back into drumming. And he explains the whole entire story of why he quit and why he got pulled back into it. Not why he got pulled back into it, but how he made the decision to get back into it. It's a one, it's a really inspiring story, but two, it's really tactical. There's a lot of stuff that you can take away from this in your own life and in your own playing and your your transitions that you may be trying to make. It's funny because the last two episodes, this one and the Carter McLean one, both guys quit playing and then got back into it sort of under their own terms and are much happier doing it. So sometimes you don't have to push everything through. And if it's not working, sometimes you need to readjust and that's okay. Like we talk about that a lot. I always talk about changing the narrative of what it means to be a successful drummer. And sometimes you need to step back. Sometimes you need to go into other things. Sometimes you need to recalibrate what you're doing and then maybe jump back in later or wait for some serendipity to happen or something like that. Or you got to plan your exit and plan your re-entrance the way that Steven did. So it's a really good conversation. And like I said, really tactical stuff that you can, you can implement into the stuff that you're doing. So I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only Steven Taylor. Steven, what's going on, my man? What is going on? I'm most, excited. Most important question I have to ask today. Uh oh. How were the tacos that you just had? Dude, they were amazing. Actually, you know what? I, I could lie and say like they were, you know, but I'm so into like not doing a lot of carbs and sugar and 
you know, that whole thing that like my taco game has totally gotten ruined. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, years. I'm totally like not into lying anymore. And I was going to be like, well, that's, yeah. that's a good thing. To do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I don't want to lie to you and be like, my tacos, I had just like meat and some vegetables and watch the tacos come by me. That's all right. It was really, it was really a sad event. You so. seem sad about it. I just saw your whole demeanor. <laughs> like, You're like it, uh, it was. It was okay. It wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> as good as. Uh, as good. So did you? Not do nearly the... as epic as my taco trips used to be. Okay. Okay. Let's put it that. Way, like pulled so. pork, or which way did you go? Oh man, I went steak all the way. Steak and chicken. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Full hard shell. I, I was. I was all about it. All right. So I like it. So this is Taco Talk. Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday taco talk with my man, Steven. Um, so I want to, I want to talk, um, about, there's one thing that I remember that I either heard you say, or that you, that, um, that you had, it was written somewhere or something that you had sort of given up on the music business, right? You were like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Weren't, didn't you have like this thing? Yes. Yes. I quit. I quit. <laughs> I didn't just have like a thing. I quit altogether. Um, so I started, in the music business at an early age. Um, I started playing when I was 14. I mm-hmm. got my drum set. And that week, my minister of music at the church I was at, my mom was like, hey, my son plays the drums. And she didn't know a thing that I didn't like. I didn't even know how to set my drums. <laughs> I just had one. You're like, I don't I really play of- the drums. <laughs> no. And so he came up to me and said, hey, our drummer just took his drums and went home. We need somebody to play. So you're going to play this weekend. Your mom told me that you play. I said, well, she was she was really wrong because I don't play at all. <laughs> and so he said, it's going to be fine. So that first weekend I had my drum set, I played three different gigs on three different stages, a youth meeting, a men's breakfast and like a church service. And that was the first weekend I had my drum set. Were, how, and from how, then on, good? no, it was, I was horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. He's, he said he was a real strong rhythmic piano player. And he said, just watch my hands. And so, you know, that's what I did. And I, I feel bad for everyone that had to sit through any of those <laughs> meetings. <laughs> but uh, from then on, I played a lot in the church setting, volunteered, lots of rehearsals. So I was, you know, for all intents and purposes, gigging without being paid um, three, four times a week and then rehearsals to go with those. Mm. So by the time I was 16, I was actually starting to get paid playing stage shows, playing in variety bands. Right. And I uh, had my own punk rock project that didn't make anything, but was just a lot of fun. And um, uh, at age 19, uh, my old drum teacher, Jeff Mills, gave me a ring and said, hey, they have a slot open here. At the, it was the famous door on Bourbon Street. Uh, it's on the corner of Conti and Bourbon. And he said, they're starting a day band. I think you could make the cut. So mm-hmm. I went and auditioned, and uh, I got the house gig there at 19. So I quit music school. Moved down to New Orleans and did that for the next two and a half years, gigging five, six days a week, anywhere right. from five to ten hours a day, just really putting in the hours, you know, mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. all that stage time. Um, and moved back. This is like the long version of this story. So moved back, got back into college. I, by that time, I was I was married. I was 22. And, um, uh, you know, so it was a different game and, and went through college, got a degree in jazz studies, moved to Nashville and Um, that's whenever it started to be apparent to me when I started playing around town, I was here for a month or so and I got my first gigs, um, playing around and, um, it was apparent to me that the industry was changing big Mm -hmm. time. And so the guys that were on the road wanted to come off the road, um, but they couldn't come off the road because the work in town was dying up, uh, because studios don't function the way they used to, you know, uh, a lot of it is home studio and a lot of the guys that 
you know, I knew guys that were getting retirement from the union. They had worked so many gigs yeah. or worked so many sessions and it just wasn't that way anymore. And then the, you know, the guys in town weren't making enough. The guys on the road wanted to come off the road because they were traveling too much and touring was changing. The revenue wasn't as good as it used to be and labels were taking more money. And I just really started to see like, this isn't the industry that it was whenever I first decided to get into it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, uh, the gig that broke the camel, <laughs> the camel's back, if you will, I showed up just to pick up gig because I needed the money. We were expecting our first kid and she was working part time, but we had just moved to town and it was at this bowling alley slash bar slash nightclub slash batting cages, all of it in one place here and right. here, right close to town. And, uh, I showed up, I didn't know anybody that was there except one guy. Um, I wound up unplugging my monitor because it was so bad, the sound that was coming through it, mm-hmm. because it just they didn't know the songs, you know, and we played the first set, and I thought, I just, I know they're going to ask us to leave. Like, this is, I went through college, and I've, like, struggled to improve my craft, and I'm going to be asked to leave. So I was sitting on the steps of this, you know, uh, batting cages <laughs> outside of this club. is the weirdest thing. And the guy, sure enough, the guy's like, hey, they paid us some, they just want us to stop playing. And I'm like, this is... You know, it's, it was super embarrassing. You that got paid, I was having you to, got paid to stop pilling. Yes. Yes. They paid us to quit playing because this pickup group that I just had to take, I needed the money, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I went home and I just told Kelly, that's my wife. I was like, I think I need to get a nine to five and I need to reassess this thing because this is not, I'm not going to do this with my life. You know, right. I enjoy music too much to have that be what I do for a living, you know? Sure. And there's sure. nothing, nothing against picking up gigs anywhere. You need to do it. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you have to like set a threshold of, I'm not going to go below this, right. <laughs> you know? Well, and, I and, mean, uh, I always say that, like, you know, there's, there's as much as you love something, it doesn't matter. There's finances involved. You have oh, yeah. to, you need to make money. And it, it whether, you know, that makes you uh, non, like real artists don't starve. You know, they right. real artists make money. So if you're if you're in a position where it's either not working or you're not making enough money or you have to go get a day gig, and I preach that all the time that it's it's fine to go to go do that. Um, yeah. And I don't. And you probably you sound like the same type of person I am that I don't I don't I can't live and die by the art. And, no man. And by that only. And the, and the thing is, is you can't make true art until the four walls are taken care of, until you have food, transportation, shelter, clothing, until those are taken care of. There's no way you're going to be create art. You're too mm-hmm. worried about where's your next meal coming from? Am I going to be able to pay the note this month? Right. Like there's, you know, so you have to give yourself and sometimes that's a part time job. So on top of this, I was gigging as much as I could trying to get into the network here. I was also working a shift at UPS every morning for mm-hmm. holiday help. And I was working from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Then I would go shower, and by 10.30, I would be at a sandwich shop, and I would work the lunch shift there from 10.30 to 2.30. Then I would go home and sleep. I would get up and be at a gig by 8 or 9 that night. I would play till 2 or 3 in the morning, go straight to UPS, and do it all over again. Wow. So that was what was happening at this time. And some months were really good. Some months you were on a bus playing in front of 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the next time you'll be at a bowling alley outside of a... (laughs) club you know, sitting a on, batting cage yeah club it's like cage. and it just wasn't sustainable and right. and i didn't i didn't get to have any choice about where i worked when i worked how much i got paid who i worked with and so that was very important to me so um i kind of shadowed a couple of people that were in industries that i felt i could you know make some money in for a little while while i revamped music mm-hmm. and um 
Kelly asked me, she said, you know, first, are you feeling okay? Cause I had never said, I'm just going to quit. Right. And, um, and she said, are you going to get back into music? And I said, yeah, I said, but I'm going to do it differently. And I'm going to say when I work and how I work and who I work with and how much I get paid, I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to decide what mm -hmm. I get to do. And that was right around the time that YouTube had really kind of started to catch on. And there were a couple of people on there that had put lessons, but nobody was really monetizing anything. There mm -hmm. wasn't any, there wasn't any of that going on. And so I told her, I said, you know, I had literally just gotten a computer. That was our first computer ever. Right. And, and I said, maybe someone would want to buy lessons or maybe I'll start a blog or, you know, that's a time when blogs were kind of hitting. Right. And I said, I don't know, I'll figure it out, but I know I need to make some money and make sure the family's taken care of first. And then, you know, I'll fulfill that you know, dream later. So I got my personal trainer's license. It's supposed to take about six or seven months to study and test for that. And from the time I ordered the material to the time I tested, it was about five weeks. So I went wow. hardcore in the other direction and um, started personal training and did that about 50, 55 sessions a week for about six years. Jeez. Um, yeah. And so at the same time, I also got into an original band just for fun. Mm -hmm. uh, it was supposed to be for fun. I scoured through Craigslist and listened to a lot of different groups and finally found one that I said no to <laughs> because there was some lyrical content I just wasn't comfortable with mm -hmm. based upon a former project. Right. And uh, about a year later, they had gotten turned down by a record label because they needed another drummer was basically what it came down to. Um, I think it was Island Records that had turned them down. And so I did the gig with them. It went well. And so that group was called Lovers and Liars. And we wound up getting signed by uh, Universal Records. And so the, the they have several wings of Universal Records. And right. this was Universal Republic Records. So mm -hmm. it was more of the edgier side. Whatever Republic's that a big, I mean, that's a major record, though. Yeah, or it's a major it's, record. It's a major record. So um, that was, uh, you know, a horrible deal. <laughs> it was just <laughs> the worst record deal ever. Um, but you know, it's what they were giving out again, right. going back to the industry and how it was changing. Uh, the labels were trying to figure out how they could make money doing this. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, they were going to take 50% of everything, 50% of the merch, 50% of the door. 360 you know. deal. Oh yeah. And, and some cases it was worse than 50%. And then the publishing split was really bad, uh, amongst the band members. And so one guy in the band was going to get 77, per, no, yeah, 77% of the publishing mm -hmm. because of how he, the writing had happened and the other three members were going to split 33% of the publishing. Right. So essentially I was going to get 11%. If we sold a song for a dollar, I was getting 11 cents and one of the other guys was going to get 77 cents. Right. <laughs> Even though I, you know, so those kind of things you don't think about when you're a kid mm -hmm. and, um, but did that actually paid money to do that and, um, had a blast, played some really cool shows with some really, uh, cool bands that I never thought I'd get to share the stage with. So, but all that was while I was, I would do personal training during the week and then go out with my, my band on the weekend or take a week off and go do a string of really cool shows. How did that change your relationship with playing where it didn't, it didn't feel like a job anymore where you were just doing it for fun. You, you had income coming from somewhere else. You didn't have to necessarily worry about that. Did it free you up artistically or did it, did it? Yeah, you? it really, it really freed me up artistically and it freed me up to enjoy the music again. And, um, the feeling that you get whenever you're kind of in a van, not kind of when you're in a van with three other guys and like, it's you against this audience you've never seen, they've never heard you. And it's your job to like sell this music that you're passionate about. Um, that just so resonated with me. I also did another gig with an independent artist, um, Meshach Jackson, 
uh, and he had put out a very electronic album. And uh, we did a club in New York, actually. Um, really weird setup. The drums were faced backwards. It was this dark electronic music. And in the middle of I was playing on this crappy drum set. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, in the middle of that set, we were in between songs, just like chaos on the stage. I'm paying to be there. And I was like, you know what? This is like, this is what it's about. This right. is I'm happier now than I've ever been playing music mm-hmm. because we're creating something real and, it, and we're not worried about the money. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a great question. It changed it drastically. So what about when you the time where you came home and you told your wife, all right, I'm done. Uh, I quit. How what, what was the gap between then and when you started playing again? Like you started playing in that original band. The gap was a few months before I started looking for anything to do. Mm-hmm. I stopped taking all paying gigs. Right. And, um, and then I interviewed people for well over a year before I decided on an original project. And then I told them no. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they came back. He responded to that email a year later. He's like, hey, by the way. Um, and uh, so it was quite a big gap. I stopped practicing altogether. I mm-hmm. feel like in some ways my drumming, I'm, ca- I'm having to catch it back up. There's mm-hmm. a lot that now that I'm back in the game full time that I lost um, because I was focused on taking care of the family and kind of revamping my music career and how it looked. I couldn't be happier with where I am, but right. the, the thing that took the hit was my playing because I just wasn't able to put the hours into the practice like I always had. So was it a was it a dark time for you when you decided that you were going to stop? And because I think there's a difference between being forced to do something and doing something on your own accord, right? So did you feel like it was a conscious decision or did you still feel like you had failed? Did you still feel like you... You know, I felt, a, uh, you know, there are those feelings of failure. I also felt a lot of relief because it was just a lot of stress to have to take whatever gig and know that you, you know, you got to come home and tell your wife that you just got paid $30 to play for four hours with no breaks. And, oh yeah, parking costs $15. So, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and not all the gigs were like that. I'm painting Mm -hmm. a real bleak picture, but I think it's gotta be a bleak picture for you to quit what you have wanted to do. Right. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of me having to deal with like, I'm just not good enough. I couldn't cut it. I could, you know, and really it's not about any of that. The market, we, we just, we're going through the most drastic change, the market period, not just music, but the business market, us as consumers, how we're consuming information. This is the biggest shift we've had yeah. uh, since television. You know, I mean, that's like the shift from radio to television. It's mm-hmm. huge. And so some things had to go away. And looking back, I'm glad I did the things I did. But it was definitely a hard time um, having to go to work and train people whenever I knew I was more than qualified to do the job that, that so many others were getting to do. Right. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of ego hit there. But sure. I'm all right with that. I, could you, and you have to think about that it depends though did you enjoy did you enjoy doing the 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 training stuff did you enjoy the personal trains i've always been into fitness i've always enjoyed fitness and so it wasn't like some it wasn't something that i hated sure but um it wasn't something that if i had a choice if i were to continue to do it i would have i would have opened a business of my own and i would have been managing the business i wouldn't have been on the floor training people all the time Mm -hmm. um so I mean, once you're once you're with people twelve to fifteen hours a day in sessions, that gets to be wearing on you. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty soon after that that I started uh, posting up some content on YouTube and try. I started a blog, which is you know, if you dig deep in the internet, you can find it. <laughs> and we're gonna, um, we're gonna go digging. 
Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Um, no, you know, I was just kind of documenting my experiences and trying to figure out how I could make, make a living in this new landscape. I kind of mm-hmm. just started looking at it completely fresh and said, Hey, how can, this is the new playing field. How can I play by these rules and, and make a living? Right. You know? And were you teaching and all that before, I mean, before you got into personal training? No, that's the funny thing. I always said I never was going to be a teacher because I, <laughs> I hated it. Really? Um, you know, and mostly what I was talking about was um, uh, teaching on, on like a, a school platform. So like an mm-hmm. elementary school, high school, where you got kids coming in that would rather be anywhere else than band. Right. And um, I just can't stand students coming in not prepared for a lesson and then telling me they are prepared for a lesson. And then we spend half an hour figuring out that, in fact, you didn't practice when you told me like that whole exchange right. is, it was was hard for me to take as somebody that had always tried to stay on top of their practice game. I'm the same way. I'm, I get it because I'm the same way. I uh, I taught lessons for, you know, for years up. I had upwards of 40 students for a while. And after a while, it felt I felt like I was babysitting. Yeah, and I you know. and I've suspended so many lessons with with uh, players whenever they come in after like the sixth or seventh lesson, and we're still not. I'll just tell them like you're just throwing your money away. Why don't you take a couple of weeks and think about what you want to do? Right. And if you want to continue taking lessons, that's great. But I don't really want to take your money if you're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. never it's never been all about the money for me. It's there's right. I measure I measure life success in much in a much wider swath than just income. Sure. So. You know, if I'm not sitting there for hours on my day, completely miserable, having to sit and listen to people that don't care, then I'll go do something else. Right. <laughs> I'll go make sandwiches or something. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I I just never thought I'd be a teacher. I always thought I'd be a player. And but for some reason, the format of my dad was a pastor, and mm-hmm. I think watching him speak to a public speaking type of a thing three four times a week, I guess rubbed off on me when I was right. a kid. Um, right. Because I kind of, I kind of, once I understood video, I kind of took to the platform and and very much enjoy it. And I'm I'm at my best whenever I'm on a live stream with with a, with a couple hundred people. I really do uh, feel like I perform my best at those mm-hmm. times. As far as in the teaching arena, because I right. just kind of try to lay it all out on the table. And it's so, almost a performance of sorts. One hundred percent. Yeah, right. it absolutely is a performance. And it's so, a. I think <clears throat> I think a lot of people discount what not discount what you do but i'm saying discount the skill that's needed to sit down in front of a camera and do whatever it is whether it's teaching drum lessons or it's doing anything else it's it's difficult to, once you sit down in front of the camera and then you're like oh i do this i didn't realize yeah. that oh why do why do i always look down what am i do, what am i looking at why am i doing this thing why do i look like i have to go to the bathroom or whatever it is yeah you know? It's many hours of self-loathing, having to check yourself out and be like, "This, you look like an idiot, man. You got to fix that." Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's only so far I can fix it before I'm like, "Okay, that's as good a patch as this person's gonna get." You know, right? Um, but you know, yeah, I I did a lesson on soloing. Actually, I did just it was open to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, it was it was a couple few couple few hundred people that were in there. I was streaming on Instagram and on my website, and it was on just creating solos. And so I was literally just coming up with melodic motifs. And I mean, it was just off the cuff. And to, to do that, there's a lot of ego that's got to go by the wayside because there's going to be some screw ups. There's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. but to really teach that how my teachers taught me, which was in real time, I feel like I need to show that side to them. It doesn't need to be a perfectly edited piece of content. I think I need to show them, you know, I'm a person, I'm just coming up with this stuff off the cuff. Let's go through it and I'll show you, you know, how you can work through it. So, right, right. Um, yeah. so how, 
how did you how did you start to go down the road of of figuring this out of saying okay maybe I can go online maybe I can start teaching lessons and why did you think that you wanted to get into lessons when you hated teaching lessons? Um, I liked the idea of being able to create my own platform, being able to say when I worked, um, and I just kind of wanted to see if it. I kind of like I said I kind of took to the video format. I didn't mind teaching in the video format. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. Right, and um, because there, you know. I, I, I really don't know why I enjoyed it. I just, all of a sudden, I, I just took to it. And mm -hmm. it was it was really on a left field uh, that I would like something like that. But um, I was with Lovers and Liars, and there was a signing bonus that happened. We were with them for a year. We made some management changes. Our manager was tied in heavily with that record label, and they mm -hmm. didn't like it. So a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, uh, stuff that didn't have anything to do with music. And so we got dropped from the label before songs were ever even released. So I took, I was at that time I was almost, I was 29, I guess, mm -hmm. and had a second kid on the way. And I just told my wife, I said, I, you know, our lawyer assured us we could get signed again, which I think we could have. Um, but at that point the music was taking a direction I didn't really as firmly believe in. Right. The writing was kind of going differently. And um, I told her, I said, I just don't know if I want to be 30 in a van trying to, make it or whatever that means I so you know we liquidated the assets and i took a buyout from the band and i took you know it's just a few thousand dollars and mm -hmm. reinvested that into the current business that i do and started trying to figure out how to live stream and record things uh, my first studio was my garage mm -hmm. i literally pulled down the rigging to my garage door nailed the garage door up so from the outside it looked like i had a garage and on the inside i drywalled that it was not up to code at all <laughs> And uh, that was my, that's the first video wall you see on my first YouTube videos. No AC, no heat. So in the summer, it was blistering hot. Right. And in the winter, it was unbelievably cold. Um, and that's how, that's how I started it. You know? Nice. Was just out of my garage. I like it. I like, I mean, all, you know, if you, you look at, did you ever see where Drumeo started? Did you ever see where yeah. Mike Johnson started? Like any of these guys, you know, like anyone who's teaching lessons online, you look at where they started and it's like, crappy production in some you know some room somewhere like anybody even even yep. like who's like a big you know guys like gary vaynerchuk and all that stuff they have like these huge productions and 17 people teams and it's like well look at apple computers i mean they yeah. started in a in a garage you yeah know? Uh, most of the great things in life have come from garages just guys in garages wanting to go how can i do something different in the world that maybe makes an impact for somebody you know? yeah of course so so where, yeah. where are you out of now did you build a new studio or did you so we moved the studio. Uh, we had moved houses, and so I moved the studio, and it was still uh, still attached to the house. And that room was about eleven by twelve, mm -hmm. and kind of configured weird. So I really had to work to get the camera angles. And then um, uh, I, I, the way I run my business is cash, and so anything that I ever do is paid for fully. I don't I don't do debt and all that stuff. Not right. you know if, if people do that, that's fine, but it's just too much. Uh, uh, I don't want to make any fatal errors and right. huge, huge hemorrhaging loans are fatal errors in my, in my experience. 100%. Um, yeah. So I watched my parents go bankrupt a couple of times, so I'm pretty leery about things. Um, so we had the, the money saved up to buy uh, a facility, a house and kind of redo it. Mm -hmm. um, and we found out we were having unexpectedly a third kid, which has been great. Um, Brooklyn, she's, she's fantastic. She's about seven months now. And, um, we were moving at the same time. So we made the, the house we were buying, actually. Uh, the guy already had a studio in it. That's what he did. He was 
kind of a, a not kind of he was a Dove Award winning. Uh, he did. He was more of a mixed studio, mm-hmm. and so that's the current space you see me in right now. Perfect. Uh, we bought about we bought about five acres, and then uh, had this space in here. And the next the next move that we're debating is whether whether I build a facility actually on our property mm-hmm. uh, because we have enough room, or uh, just buy something separate and uh, it be just a freestanding studio. That's right. probably what'll happen. But yeah. I'm in no I'm in no rush to get there. I'm, right. I, I move I move pretty slowly. Mm-hmm. So. Does your wife but, work with you or no? Uh, no, my wife stays no. home. She homeschools our kids. Oh, cool. And so, um, yeah, she's she was a school teacher for, for many years. And now she, you know, is able to stay home. And the business affords for her to be able to kind of devote all of her time to, to raising the kids. Her job's way harder than mine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like three little kids all day and doing school. Like that's that's a that's not a job I could do. Right. <laughs> I, I would have to sign up. To, I, I, and I love my kids to death, but... That's that's a job that's a little bit more than I can do. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I don't have any kids, but uh, I don't know if I could do the I don't know if I could do the stay home thing or not. The twenty four seven. Yeah. So you would mention you know watching watching your parents go through bankruptcy and and learning how to run this business on cash and all that. Do you did you always have a business acumen or did you have to develop it over time? And that's why, like you said, you make you make decisions slowly and you you make sure that you're thinking things out. <laughs> Did that did yeah, that stuff so, have an effect on you with your parents? Yeah, watching them do that. My dad always ran his own. Uh, he was a, a lead. He was the head pastor at a church, so he ran everything. It's like mm-hmm. running a business. And then later he went on the road full time, so he managed his personal business uh, and just didn't manage it well. And so that's one thing that I feel like I wasn't handed when I was growing up was good business sense. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was handed great public speaking. So my father was an excellent public speaker. And so is my mother. And so getting to see them do that consistently at conferences and on stage, I believe that helped me a ton right. in the creative department. But the business side is something that I spend a large portion of my day uh, studying, reading books, taking classes, um, learning about, you know, what is marketing? What is, you know, how can we use social media? You know, all of those different things, how to run a business mm-hmm. is essentially what I spend uh, a large portion of my day doing. Right, is, right. Um, is learning that. And I believe that I move very, I, I move very slowly. I make decisions very slowly, but once I decide to move, uh, it happens really quick. Mm-hmm. So we've decided to, be, to do a very big social media push this next year. Just, I just want to give a ton back to the community that's given so much to me. And um, it took me a long time to get there, but now that we're there, it's all, you know, we're moving full throttle. Lots mm-hmm. of content, tons of content, just because it's great giving back to the community. Right. You had mentioned, um, the I just lost my train of thought. Come on, get it together, Nick. Oh, you had mentioned. Uh, see, that's all I needed. It was a little, a little push. You had mentioned the the fact that you spend a good portion of your day running your business. The funny thing that I always think is that people think, oh, you are a drummer, or you run a podcast, or you teach online lessons. You probably just sit around and play drums all day. And I and what I think happens a lot of times is people start businesses doing things that they love and they get, they start going down the road and, and they think, man, there's a lot of things in this business that I have to do that suck that I yeah. really don't feel like doing. And I think yeah. the, the, per, the large percentage of the time you have to do things you don't want to be doing. Absolutely. Would you agree? And you, I would. And part of that this past year has been as a business owner and you really have to think about what are your strengths 
where are you strongest and how can you spend most of your time doing those things. So I'm a very prolific content creator and I have a, I have a, a lot of history in the educational side of drumming. So collegiate with great teachers from, I mean, my first drum teacher, we, we talked about it earlier, was Henrique, uh, who is up at Berkeley now. I was taken right. from him when I was 14, and he was every bit the monster he is now. Mm-hmm. So I have, from the get-go, excellent teachers. I went on, under Dr. John Wooten, Jeff Mills, Harold Bosarch, some great teachers. That's one of my strengths, is being able to draw from that wealth of knowledge and create content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of this year in the business has been me learning how to delegate tasks that I'm not good at or I shouldn't be doing. Right. And so uh, I've got somebody that handles customer support. Uh, I've got Tim, who is fantastic, and he's doing all the sheet music and video editing and site updates. And I've got somebody that works on the website uh, side of things. I've got marketing. And being able to delegate those tasks is what I spend a lot of my day thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole different kind of set of problems. <laughs> I wish my day were just drumming a lot of times. <laughs> I wish it was like, oh, yeah, today I get to you know play drums all day. Right. Um, but a lot of it's just, I, I enjoy business, though. I enjoy learning that aspect of it. So It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Absolutely. What what do you think about other people who are, who want to get into want to get into teaching online lessons? They want to do the sort of stuff that that you're doing. Do you think that there's room? Do you think that there's room for yeah. everyone to to be successful in this field? I think it's great. You know, I think the more the merrier. I'm not somebody that um, you'll find is not willing to work with other people or not willing to collaborate. Or um, I mean, I just had lunch with someone and we talked business the entire time. You know. Mm-hmm just the details of what that looks like. He was in a completely other field with a completely different instrument. Um, I'm, I just don't, I don't think there's any secrets. And I think the more we share and open up this market, the more everybody wins. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think it's great if people want to get in this. My only issue is whenever people teach outside of their knowledge base. Right. And I think that's whenever a lot of people get in trouble or when they teach things that aren't going to be the best for the student and the internet has really, um, I had a hard time with the internet at first because I never learned things in the sense of licks and I never learned things in the sense of this is a linear pattern and I'm going to play all linear or this is a, this, this is gospel drumming or this is drum and bass. It was all learning concepts, Mm -hmm. you know, so I would study players for long periods of time, Elvin Jones or Tony Williams, and I would learn how to make music with that. And my strength coming up was I played so much music. Like I just played music all the time. And, um, it was hard for me online because there was a disconnect of learning licks and chops over the musicality portion of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so the past couple of years, I've really started leaning hard on the musicality portion of things, those things that are tried and true. And I know will get a student hired and I know will benefit them in the long run. That's what I want to that's what I want to jump on. And I think that whenever people start teaching outside of their knowledge base or start teaching in ways that aren't um, aren't going to be as beneficial to the student with their goals, whether that be to play in a pickup band on the weekend or to, to play professionally. You know, right. I think, I think we just have to be careful as teachers, but the more the merrier. I love it. If you're looking for a top of the line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments 
for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. This session is brought to you by Promark and their new Firegrain drumsticks. And these Firegrain drumsticks utilize a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. They keep their original weight and balance and feel and all of that, but it allows drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. So there is no vibration. There's no space age gimmicks. It's just natural hickory, but it's hardened by flame. It's amazing how they do this. Not only that, the drumsticks retain their natural feel, weight, and balance that you would expect from a regular hickory drumstick. They're available now in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes. You can learn more by going to promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Steven Taylor. You had sort of alluded to it a little bit, but when you were saying about the internet and licks, and I talk about this a lot, and I'm sure that people are tired of hearing me say it, but I there's to me, there's a big difference between sort of the drumming business and the music business and what works in the drumming business and what works in the music business. And you sort of hit the nail on the head there of of things that, that are going to get you hired. So people email me all the time. What do you suggest I practice? What should I, you know, what should I be working on? And I say, you should work on, if you're trying to get gigs, I think you should be working on your employable skills. No one wants to hear you play in 16 over eight with your feet. Okay. Maybe one band in the world, maybe one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you're trying to get gigs, then you should be working on your time, your feel, your musicality, your phrasing, all, you know, your dynamics, all that kind of stuff versus playing all these licks. On the flip side of that, that's what people like watching on YouTube. That's what people like watching on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. So how do you, cause I feel like you have to do both, right? You have, you need something to get people in the door. I think there's a healthy dose of having fun with it, but I found that people really respond well whenever I start really getting in deep. You know, I did a video not too long ago that was basically on rebound. Like when we hit a drum pad, what's happening, you know, and Mm -hmm. I brought in, you know, I brought in like we got deep in the science (laughs) and we got into all the the rules of motion and and how that uh, uh, plays into things. And they really enjoyed it. And I was very surprised by that. Um, so I think it's a healthy mix of that sensational thing paired with like, this is just good, solid teaching. These are just the the laws of nature here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and as well, I've started posting, uh, gig videos, which I j- I honestly just threw a camera up at a gig. I had my GoPro. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like press record. It was a cover gig pickup thing with this band. And I posted it not too long ago and people loved it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I could have had thousands of hours of video if I would have known this is what you liked. But it, they loved seeing the practical application of what you teach. Like, okay, there was this lesson, really long lesson on the bossa nova, but how do you apply it in real time? And when you do, I don't see you doing all these complicated things. You leave a lot of space in there. Why are you doing that? It, it, it elicited a lot of conversations that had more to do with the music than, with, than to do with the drumming, mm-hmm. um, which was I loved. So... I don't know. You know, I'm just going more hardcore in that direction. Of right. This is this is the truths of what we do. And, you know, 
the sensational stuff, I guess, has to be there a little bit. And it's fun. Come on. Right. Everybody it it loves, totally is. It everybody to loves chopping out. But, but at the same time. I'm like, what's the last thing you do when, you, right, when you're getting up from the drums? Yeah, you chop dude. out for a while and, you know, that's what yeah, I mean. That's what you, I do. <laughs> yeah, and you think you're amazing and you leave and you're like, man, nobody's better than me. And right. then you go and you hear like, you know, Tony Williams or Buddy Rich and you're like, oh, crap. I got to go practice somewhere. You or know, I just so listen to myself play. <laughs> you listen to the record. Yeah. And I say, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's, back it's, in the shed. I think it's, I think it's great, you know, but I think too, knowing who you are as a player, uh, I'm, I'm a very solid pocket player. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that it makes sense that that's my strength. I had so much time on the stage coming up, um, and time rehearsing and like, it makes sense that that's my strength. Right. Uh, but gospel uh, as a gospel drummer, I'm, I'm not a gospel drummer mm -hmm. and it took me a long time to admit like I can do it, but it's not, it's not me, you know? Right. And so I think a lot of times we have to stop worrying about what's hip or, you know, are glitch beats cool or is linear cool or is gospel the new cool thing or is blast beats the new cool thing or now it's drum and bass or, you know, and stop thinking about those things and start thinking about who am I as a player mm -hmm. and then let that show through. And if you can add some drum and bass to that, if you can add a glitch beat in here or there, you know, awesome. But, you know, I can count on one hand, zero, how many glitch beat gigs I've ever played in my life. Yeah. And I love the style, you know, mm -hmm. I love Jay Dilla. I love what he did. But as far as, you know, just playing to what's hip on the moment on Instagram or YouTube, you, you really got to get past that and figure out who you are as a player. How do you, th how do you suggest people get there? How do you suggest people figure out who they are as a player? It starts by ignoring other people. There was a great guy named Hugh McLeod that made kind of a manifesto that he put for free online. And that's what it was called. Ignore everybody. And, um, and it got downloaded a couple million times. He wound up, you know, publishing it, whatever. But that was kind of my manifesto for a long time of understand what's going on in the market, but at the same time, play to your strengths and play to your truths. And so there are things that players do in their, in their practice time that they're very good at, uh, but they avoid those when they get together with people or when they're writing because they're so consumed with what part could I write that would be hip or what part could I write that the other players would like instead of just leaning back into what would I say if I was in this conversation, you know, which is really what music is and, and how can I explore that. Uh, a way that I found with my students is, uh, and, I, and this came naturally for me, but I would take material my first week of lessons and I'd spend three days learning the material from the book and make sure that I had it down cold. Like I could go in and just play it straight for them. And then I would spend the next three days putting the books down and trying to figure out what I as a player could do with that. So take the same exercises, but twist them around and morph them and write them in different time signatures and figure out what my musical tendencies were uh, in expressing those things. Um, I also think it's important to get players to play to music as much as they can. So I had a teacher coming up that made me play to jazz standards. So we would learn something like Take the A Train. And my first lesson would be, hey, why don't you sing Take the A Train? So we would sing Take the A Train. Okay, keep time while you're doing that. Okay, well, cool. And then he'd say, hey, you know those comping ideas you were working on in the syncopation book? Okay, now I want you to take some of those and intersperse during your spaces while you're singing. So then I started kind of collaborating while I was singing, but it was all in the service of the music. And then he'd say, hey, you know those three or four concerts we were working on a couple of weeks ago? Okay, now take those and solo over this piece of music while you're singing it, but try to incorporate, try to incorporate those things. And, and doing that, you begin to find what your tendencies are. You begin to find your voice. It's, it's really learning to, to um, have confidence in your voice, I think is the big thing a lot of people deal with. At least the students I talk to, they, they, 
are so concerned with what people will think. And you just really have to get past that. And you just have to make music, you know, and, and play who you are. I had, I had trouble with this. I met with a great player. Uh, he plays with Brad Paisley. Ben Caesar contacted me. A fantastic drummer. And he's the uh, epitome of a drummer that never stops learning. And so we got together and, you know, we're kind of trading back and forth. And um, I've admired his work for a long time. So I'm like, okay, what can I play to impress him? You know, and so three or four minutes into it, I just was like, I was out of licks. <laughs> you know, I was all licked <laughs> out. And so it came my turn to kind of take a drum break. And so I started leaning back into a lot of the things that I'd worked on in my practice time that I'd never really played in front of anybody because they were just kind of mine. And I thought, well, these are kind of strange. And I just started kind of playing through that stuff. And he stopped and started just looking at me. And I thought, oh, man, he's like, I'm going to get done with this. And he's going to, you know, run me a laundry list of all the things I just did wrong. You know, this is all going through my head. Right. And I, and I stopped and he, and he said, what were you just doing right there? And I said, I don't know. I was playing this on top of this, some stuff I've been working on. And he just said a line that really liberated me for a very long time. And he said, you should do more of that. And um, it was basically pointing to the only part of that whole 10 minutes that we had played that was actually me. And he, and he saw it, like the split second I started playing it. And he said, yeah, you should do more of that, whatever that is. Hmm. And um, that, was, that was years ago. And it kind of sent me on a, on a tailspin of like, yeah, I should do more of that, you know, because that's why I'm a player. Mm-hmm. And just to just to farther uh, point this or drive this message home, I 100% agree with with what you're saying because I went through the same exact thing. So I can I can relate when you're saying you know finding your voice, figuring out the things. Like you know, for years I wanted to be this guy who had all these chops and could do all this stuff and you know play upside down with my feet and all that shit. But like I just I I can't. It's just not, it's not who I am. It's not what I'm attracted to. So every time I'm in the practice room and I'm playing grooves and I'm, you know, I'm moving around where the, where the snare drum is laying in the, in the field, or if I'm pushing or pulling the hi hat or pushing or pulling the ride or something like that, I I'm naturally attracted to that stuff. So that is, that is me. It's sort of, a lot of times people tell you to follow your passion. Uh, I love Mark Cuban says, don't follow your passion, follow, follow your, uh, your, what does he say? Follow your attention and where your attention is. So like on the weekends, what are you reading? What do you, what are you, you know, experimenting with? What are you checking out? That's the stuff that you should be really focusing on. So I think if we all take a step back and correct me if I'm wrong, if we all take a step back and look at the things that we're naturally already doing, or we're naturally attracted to, or we're naturally watching on YouTube, it's probably the direction that you should be going. Right. 100%. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, I don't want to belabor the point, but, you know, it's not that, say, for instance, you said, you know, I just can't do those things. It's not that you can't play, for instance, this really fast lick. It's not that you can't do that. It's it's really what, what lights a fire? Like I can learn that motions. A monkey can learn those motions to that speed. But do you sound like you when you play that? And most importantly, on the inside, do you feel like an imposter when you're playing that? Like I'm playing this, but it's totally just a learn to lick. It's not who I am as a player. And I think you're right. You know, pointing back to all of the players that you came up listening to those that you, I mean, the guys that I'll turn on now are still Jojo Mayer. There's still Elvin Jones, Art Blakey, Roy Haynes, Tony Williams. And it just doesn't, you know, uh, Bernard Purdy, uh, Jeff Percara, all these great musical players. I'm not, you know, for me, I don't really turn on chops-driven players. It's just never 
lit a fire under me. There's nothing wrong with that. Please understand I'm saying that. If that's your voice, go for it. You do you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's just not what I was always attracted to. And I find the more I lean on my strengths, the more my students uh, relate to me and, and the more trust I get out of them. Right. So explain this this eight day drum better daily system that you use. Sure. Um, and it's and it's not even it's it's an eight week system. So drum better daily is just a system I came up to normalize. What did I say? Eight, what did I say? Eight day. Yeah, eight oh, days. I meant eight weeks. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. That's that's fine. So it's a system that I came up with, um, and basically it normalizes the content because online a lot of the issues we have are it's not that we're not motivated to. It's not that we don't have the time to, it's we don't know what to work on. I did a, I did a study with about six or 700 drummers a couple of years ago. What are your biggest issues in practice? The number one by four times was focus, followed very closely by I don't know what to work on and I don't know how to organize my time. And so, which all bleed into that focus issue. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I've got a whole course that I teach actually on just this thing, which is called the art of practice. Um, and so the eight week idea is pick a topic, whatever that topic may be. There's going to be eight weeks within that topic. And then we're going to divide the topic up. So let's say you want to work on the Mambo. Uh, The first week will be an introduction to that. You'll have the sheet music with it. And then you also have lesson resources that you can download that allow you to set your goals for that lesson plan. So, okay, we're going to be doing this eight weeks, you know, and eight weeks is a generalization because I'm working with the online market. Uh, And so some people are beginners, some are advanced. And so you take it at your pace. If you need to spend 16 weeks on it, two weeks per lesson, that's fine. No big deal. But set those goals from the beginning. And then uh, the next week, there's a different focus. So the first week is all about starting. The next week is all about eliminating uh, the things that could be practice killers. So what are keeping you from your practice time when you're in your practice time? What is pulling away from it? What do you find yourself kind of trailing off on? So it's not just the lesson. It's not just the sheet music. It's not just that. It's also goals, specific goals for where we're going with that lesson and the material that's going to help you suss out your practice time. Make sure you're tracking to your goals. Week three, we reassess those goals and make sure we're on track to hit them because you start with goals, you start with the macro and then you work your way down. So in a year, I want my plane to be here. In you know four months, I want my plane to be here. In one month, I want my plane to be here. In one week, I want it to be here. And in today, this is what I want to do. And that's how we, that's how we suss out our goals. We start with the macro and go back to the to the to the to the micro, and so doing that kind of normalizes the experience for the student online, and enables me to teach in that specific way. So in my members area, I've got over sixty lesson tracks at this point on everything from world rhythms to the shuffle to uh, teaching one now in quintuplets because uh, that's a hot topic out there. Um, uh, got all forty rudiments. That's that's five five different lesson tracks. Uh, jazz, it, it runs the gamut. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, you pick the topic, and then you spend that time in your practice time, not only working that, but making sure that you're hitting the goals that you set for yourself. That's awesome. Is there is yeah. there a place that you can actually download that that system or a place, just go to your site, and you, it's all on there? Yeah, on the site, yeah, you can, there's a, there's actually kind of got a PDF that explains the system that you can download. Um, uh and and two, I'll give you know if you want to if your people want to go to uh, they can go to stevensdrumshed.com and I'll just make a specific URL for you guys. Um, you can just put drummers resource backslash drummers resource, and um, there'll be a free lesson series in there. And in there, it's it'll be a, 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 a let's it'll be a three lesson series on coming up 
with specific drum fills. So using different patterns and doing what I call chunking, kind of putting them together and rearranging in different ways. But kind of teaching through that teaches the method that I really teach to, which is very specific, very orderly. Um, and by the end result, this pattern is going to look like your other patterns. So if anybody wants to go grab that stuff, then they can, they can go there. Cool. Um, and that's kind of a micro version of what that, what that would be. And I'll, so, I'll link to that too in the show notes so, if, yeah, if, so yeah, everybody sure. can find it. So what, what, happens, what happens when people need lessons on certain things and maybe you don't already know how to play that stuff or you don't, you don't understand some of those rhythms? So what do you do? You go in, you shed that stuff for a long time, figure out how to digest it and figure out how to present it to your students? Um, that works in two different ways. If it's something that I see that I haven't played in a while and need to brush up on, uh, for instance, maybe we're working on the Wawanko or, you know, something that I like haven't played in several years, but did way back then. I'll spend the time ingesting the music. Um, I don't teach anything without ingesting the music because you just sound false whenever you're trying to present it. Right. So I'll spend a little time ingesting the music, going back over those things and deciding if I can logically teach that. Um, and if I can, I'm happy to do the lessons on it and, and plan those out. Um, there are several things, for instance, double bass. Um, I'm not a double bass drummer. I've never practiced it. I have practiced a lot of independence with the left foot, with clavés and cowbells and uh, wood blocks, those types of things. But as far as straight double bass drumming, it's just never been a strength of mine. I tried to film a couple lessons on it, and it really, it just, I just, that's not going to be my thing. So if it's something that I know I'm not going to teach them, and there are better resources out there, I'll point them to those resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very, I'm very adamant these days about not teaching outside of my realm of expertise. Right. And so I'm, I'm not scared to say, no, actually I don't do that, but I can give you a resource that does. Um, so, and there's not a ton of areas in drumming that I'm not comfortable teaching to a certain point, but that's one that I can point out that is. Right. 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 Now that makes sense. I mean, I, th- I think there is an ego thing involved with that or, or a lack of ego, uh, in your case saying, you know, I think a lot of people's a lot of people have a hard time saying that they don't know how to play something, or they have a hard time admitting that they're, you know, they're not up to par with this certain thing, or that they have questions about things. You know, and even even when I started the podcast, I would be talking about you know, I'd be talking to someone, and you let I would I could feel my ego sort of step into the into the light oh, a yeah. little bit, like you know, or if they bring up a band or something, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course I know them, you know. Um, and I would listen to the podcast and I'd go back and say, I gotta, I gotta let my, cause it's a natural thing, but I was like, I gotta let my ego get out of the way here and, and let's open this up so, you know, we can have some honesty and not that I was being dishonest, but you know what I mean? It was. Oh, sure. Yeah. Ego, ego is a huge trip up and it's something that I've learned over the years. I try to err towards uh, as much self-deprecating <laughs> humor as I can <laughs> and, and try to get my ego out of the way because it, it really all boils down to this, man. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm simply trying to be the best that I can be. I'm trying to be a better version of me as drummer and as a dad and as a husband and as a business owner than I was yesterday. That's really my goal for every day. And if you let ego drive that, you get yourself in a lot of you know screwy places. And so I'll be the first to say, you know, if something's not working on the website or somebody's not getting what they need or, you know, I'm the first to say, hey, that's that's my fault. I, I'll blame myself first before I put the blame on anybody else, sometimes to a fault. Mm-hmm. But it's just really being aware of 
wanting to grow as a human and understanding where I am in that whole, that whole journey. Um, you know, cause your, your teachers growing up, they were just that too. They were human. It's just, you know, of course, um, it's just a different atmosphere now that we kind of go through. I, I'm, I don't like to show a lot of false pretenses like on my YouTube channel. And I'm even airing towards now just filming a lot of stuff that is not highly edited just because I want them. I want them to understand that it's just a platform. I'm just a guy doing his thing. No different than everybody else. You know, it's a very, it's a little, it's way different than I ever <laughs> thought I would be doing. But uh, it's sort of like the models, how they're how they're doing stuff on Instagram now, where they're not touching up the photos. They're not, you know, they're standing. They're showing you the difference where where how it looks different if they're just standing a different way. So they're trying to paint a paint a more realistic picture to say, hey, listen, you know, don't be fooled by don't be fooled by what you see on you know on YouTube or on Instagram of this highly edited. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's I don't edit this at all, and I think the listeners know that. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we know, Nick, you don't edit. Them. We know, we, because we wish I, you would edit them. Well, I, and you know what? I bet they would, but like, but for me, where does it stop? Where's, yeah. where's the line? So I, there's blemish. The only thing I'll cut out is if like, someone has to go take a phone call and they're away for five minutes because people don't want to just sit here and listen to dead air. But you know, if something happens or you got to get up or whatever, I leave it there because it's natural. It's part of the conversation. And I feel that if I take that out, then it starts to, it, it, it starts to feel fake. Yeah. I think that we've gone too far trying to take the human element out of so many things out of, uh, music by trying to quantify it too much, you know, really snapping everything to the grid whenever we're editing, uh, whenever it comes to video by really putting a lot of production in there and, I'm just airing very much. To, I mean, I put out a video the other day. The whole front of the video was just me dropping sticks. It was constant clips of like just oh, dropping I saw sticks. that. Yeah, and Tim, who edits my video now, sometimes he'll send me something. I'm like, bro, like, I mean, you don't have to make me look good, but maybe just don't make me look, you know, like right. that bad. <laughs> but in the end, I'm like, you know what? This is this is a cool thing, it, and and it and it did well. Like that content did well and resonated with people. In that, yeah, I get it. You know, mm -hmm. we drop sticks. It's part of the game. Right. And to act like we don't is, I think, silly. I think it's a silly thing. I, mm -hmm. That whole lesson I was telling you about soloing, live streaming, I've I'm recently got with Tama. And so I've rearranged the kit a little bit and just kind of going through that stage of changing things. I'm not a gearhead, so I've played the same gear for 20 years. And yeah, I've dropped some sticks because things are in a little bit of different places. And twice in that lesson, I had like two unrecoverable stick drops in the middle of soloing. It was like not something I could recover from. I had to stop the entire thing and be like, I need to go like crawl under my floor, Tom, and find this <laughs> stick because it's 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 gone. Like, you know. <laughs> you know. I like it. I like it. What what's some of the most surprising things that you've you've either come across or or come to realize going down this journey of teaching online lessons? I think one of the more surprising things is that people will be people no matter where they are. Mm -hmm. And that's both good and that's both bad. So you know, um, there's a lot of love and then there's a lot of people that, you know, like if you have a city of like 2 million people, you're going to meet a couple of oddball people, you know, and you have those online too. And so I think it's been really surprising to see that no matter what format we're in, you know, we're still all just humans and we act the same way, whether it's on Facebook or in person or, you know, the internet's just exposed a lot more kind of people's true intentions. And I think also the thing that has surprised me is that is the hesitancy of the music business in general or music population, however you want, musicians in general, to accept that things are changing 
and you know, we need to get in line with the new order of things. I have so many players that I talk to that just bemoan how publishing has changed and how things are free now and streaming has taken away the revenues and now it's all online and now the tours are dry. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. just, it's just a constant stream of complaining. Whereas me, I see nothing but opportunity. I'm like, man, yeah, I mean, it's all changing. But to me, it's changing for the better because mm-hmm. the middlemen have been cut out in this whole equation. And that's always a good thing. Anytime you can connect the artist with the with the consumer, it's a better deal, you know, right. on both sides. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been very surprised about the hesitancy and about the uh, just really bad outlook that so many people have had um, within the community. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the there's so much opportunity out there. I mean, you look at bands now, a band can have a following on Instagram or Facebook or somewhere and go to a town they've never been in and sell 10,000 tickets. Yeah. And it like happens it's, it's in, it happens all the time. It's insane what you can do if you'll just sit back. But what it does is it, it still requires a lot of work and it requires you to think outside of the box. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just got accustomed to doing the same thing the same way. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been surprising in some ways um, the lack of uh, some people not wanting to work together in online, you know, ventures uh, or people having a large following and, and ignoring those people, like they never answer a comment or mm-hmm. those things are all because I spent half my day. I was up till 1030 last night answering emails, recording voice messages for people that had questions like they weren't students. They were just people that had questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I answer. I try to answer every comment, every message, every email. Right. And I had a gig last week in Colorado Springs. So that took me out of town. And so I was trying to catch up and it's it can be daunting. But I think it's important, man. I think that you can't put this stuff out there and then. And then not talk to people. I don't know. Of course. It's, just, it's always struck me as very strange. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange way to approach things. Stanton Moore is a buddy of mine, and we were talking – or actually, we were talking about it on the podcast, about how he, that dude is like the busiest guy in the world. He plays in 17 different bands, and yeah. he's always on the road, and he's doing this. And you know, he's like, I, re- I respond to my emails. Um, I'm up till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning writing emails, and I get up in the morning, take my daughter to school, and go right to Shed, and then I go to the studio, and then I go to do this. And, and, and he's like, I'm just – I'm constantly working. And that's why I'm so yeah. busy is because I'm always working on things. But he, he was saying the same thing about always getting back to people, always responding to people, always, always. Th- and I figure if he can respond to everybody, so can I. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just, there's an element of it that's just like being a good person, mm-hmm. you know, really pays off. And I think people, especially when they have online businesses. So this is talking to all the musicians out there that maybe drummers, whoever you are, and you have an online business, there's this. There's this detachment that like, oh, there's there's so many of them out there that I can't spend any time really personally getting to know them. But just throwing back to our conversation about how my taco experience was, which wasn't really tacos, but (laughs) I was at a taco shop. I go there all the time. I walk in. That guy knows exactly what I want to order before I order it. He knows my name. He knows how many kids I have. And he sees hundreds of people every day. And he knows the same thing for every person. And so the fact that you transition a business to online and all of a sudden you don't have time for your students to answer all their questions where you would have spent 15 hours during the day answering their questions when they were coming to your studio. That does, it's a big disconnect for me. And you really have to act like you own a business, like you need to know those customers and not view them just as customers. They're people. They have concerns. They have questions. And it's really rude of you to ignore them 
like period. It's just mm-hmm. rude to ignore an email that you got from someone asking an honest question. Even if you just type it back and say, you know, that's a really long-winded question. I just don't have time to. I'm sorry. Even just some kind of response. But just to ignore the whole thing, I don't know. It doesn't play well in my book. I I'm with you. And I get a lot of I mean, you know, I get a lot of emails too and I so I mean, once in a while one will fall through the cracks, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure that there's somebody listening like you didn't respond to my email. Well, I, sure. I respond, you know, I, I respond to all of them. So I think they I think they know the intent is there. And that's that's the important thing. Right. You know, but and sometimes I dig a hole for myself. You know, uh, my sister does customer support for me and uh, she knows like when I put an email onto the email list and ask them a question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my boss is just like to so I'm like, oh, my God, what do you like, you know, like, and it's a good thing because they care and they think I'll, they think I'm listening and I am, mm-hmm. I'm listening to, to them. Yeah. I think that's the only reason I'm able to make a living doing what I'm doing. Of course. Of course. So what is the, what's the next goal? What's, what's 2018 looking like for you and what are you hoping to, to do with the business? Helping, hoping to do with your playing? Are there anything, are there any things that you really have in the works that you're trying to, to do right now? Absolutely, man. Lots in the works. Um, so my goal for the website and my students uh, and that is to streamline their process a little bit uh, better and make the website a little bit uh, even more user friendly than it is and make it um, help them hit their goals better. So I, I feel like as a teacher, there are things that I can do better in the layout, the structure, uh, follow up sequences, those types of things that will deliver more value for them. And that's so that's a big focus for this next year uh, is on that. I've got another course called The Art of Practice, um, and that has kind of just blossomed into kind of its own deal. So that's a separate uh, area of the business that's just for general musicians. And so uh, pushing hard to kind of put that out there. Uh, For social media, we're doing a a huge push for, I say we because Tim works with me, Christy works with me, Mm -hmm. Um, a big push to social media to just give back to the community just as much as I can. Um, And so we've got a podcast that hopefully uh, we'll be starting Hopefully by next month, this is December 2017, so hopefully by next month we'll be getting that podcast up and running. Um, going to be posting a ton to YouTube, going to be toasting a ton to Facebook, Instagram, just as much value as I can deliver to people and keep it centered on them and their growth. Mm-hmm. Um, me as a player, I've got a couple of original projects. I released one earlier this year. We're hoping to get an EP out at the beginning of this next year. Uh, that's with Roy Mitchell Cardenas from the band, or formerly of the band Mute Math. He was oh, the nice. bass player guitar player for so long so that that project's called belladrone you can go download a free song uh belladrone.com b-e-l-l-o-d-r-o-n-e.com um our first song so chill is up there for free um and uh a couple of other music projects that i'm that i'm working on now that the business is kind of sustainable and i'm working on that i'm getting back into really um uh making music again which is which is a great thing uh and then we've got a project that we've been working on all year uh, Tim's been doing a lot of the work on this uh, as far as getting the content together, but um, it's going to be the first, uh, and I haven't actually told anybody, so you're the first one to tell. Uh, it's going to be the first on-demand cable TV channel for drum lessons. Um, Sweet. And yeah, so we've we've partnered up with Comcast uh, so far, and we've got some other providers that um, will be coming on board. And I do, I believe 2018, and this is all, you know, it's we're still getting it out there, uh, but. It'll see the U.S. and Canada, I think, is where it's going to roll out. And then uh, from there, hopefully Europe's in the works. Um, but again, that's, it's, it's been in the works and on the back burner for, for a long time now because it's, it's uh, kind of a new thing. 
So I'm excited about that. You know, That's who awesome. knows if it'll work, but it's it's a really cool. Uh, they came to me, and it's a really cool opportunity. And I know that cable is is kind of a dying art form, but they're mm-hmm. really they're really trying hard to become content deliverers, and not just deliver TV, but also deliver content that a ton of you know content creators are making online. Right. Uh, so it's, I think it's a cool opportunity, and and one I never in a million years dreamed I would be able to to say. I, I'm making a cable TV channel, <laughs> so I think that's, that's uh, awesome. It's, it's kind of a cool thing, yeah, yeah. So whether it goes or not, I still will always like to say, yeah, I had a cable TV channel. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's that's all. You, that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> so lot, lots happening for 2018, man. I'm I'm not I'm not resting on my laurels. I'm amping things up. I think that anybody that wants to do the online thing, I think you have to understand that a lot of times the market gave you authority in the past because you had a big gig and mm-hmm. so playing with x artist or having your band have a number one hit or whatever that gave you the clout to kind of long tail that into a career and there's a lot of guys that are still living on that type of a career and that's great that's they were smart um uh, i think one of the smartest guys out there is jim riley uh, he moves quick and he's got one of the best gigs in the in the industry uh, with rascal flats and the guy just kills it like does his drum camps does his books does like he's just killing it every time i turn around every time mm-hmm. i talk to him i'm like dude you're just you really impress me i love talking to him and he's willing to adapt but i think that if you want to go do something in the online space whether that be a band or something like that nobody's going to give you authority you just really have to take that and you have to put out enough content whether that be music or teaching or playing or whatever it is to simply i mean that's really what's going to establish you as a player in the field is you creating that content, putting it out there. Nobody's going to, there's not going to be a big band that you're signed with. That's going to give you that clout. You, you really, the reason I had endorsers come on board was because I just, I just hustled for years and years. I put out stuff while nobody was listening. And then, you know, it kind of built to this thing, not kind of built to the thing that I get to do today. So how long was that? We didn't, we didn't really touch on that about how long, how long were you putting out content for free before you started making money? <laughs> I think I start. Uh, you can go to my YouTube channel and find out. I don't want to lie, but I think it was 2009 that I started. Mm-hmm. And then I started my business in October of 2011. That's whenever I started the membership. I had two people sign up the first day and I still have one of those guys. He's still a student. Marcus, what's up, man? And we're actually close friends. We text all the time now. So, That's awesome. Um, but that was October of 2011, and for three months, I actually paid to be in business. So I went in the hole for three months until I had enough students that I could make expenses, which was basically back then live streaming was very expensive and that kind of thing. So until I could afford my web costs and stuff, it cost that to career. And then it was just slowly building uh, in the spring 2015 is whenever I took doing this full time. So I don't, I don't do, I mean, I still do gigs and stuff, but it's because I want to, I can pick and choose what I do at this point. Right. And so this has been a full time thing for me for a few years now. That's awesome, man. I'm so yeah, happy for you. I, dude, I, I, I am uh, the luckiest guy in the world. I think I, I, you know, it goes back to kind of how you measure success. It's just, it's great that I get to come to a studio and, and create and do what I want to do every day. It's just, I'm blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very, very grateful, <laughs> very grateful. And you deserve it. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Last question. What is your, what are your thoughts on, on legacy? What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to remember you for? Yeah. You know, there's lots of thought about that, uh, for me at this point. Um, 
it goes back to kind of how I measure success in life. I kind of mentioned that. So money is just not a good enough measurement for me. Um, really, um, you know, I just got a text from a guy and he said, man, you really lit a fire under me and, and I'm really grateful for that. And we just met for like an hour, you know. Um, those kinds of things, I think, as far as legacy, being able to have people always point to me and say, you know, what he said was correct. Uh, it played out to be true. That advice he gave was very practical. Those are the things that I kind of want to be my legacy as being someone that was, I always said whenever I was coming up that I didn't care if everybody knew my name, but I wanted to be well-respected within the field that I was, that I was working in. So mm-hmm. kind of that, you know, there's always that group of people that, you know, they like whisper their names at, at, at parties and stuff like, oh, they're so, and I don't want to be that, but I want people in the industry to respect what I've done sure. and, and to point to it and say, you know, he did it in a different way and it was correct. He, what he was teaching was true. And uh, just, you know, legacy of being a kind human that, that gave more than I took from my community. That's, mm-hmm. that's really what I like to do. So I think that's a worthwhile. I don't know if that makes sense. It I totally like does. I think that's a, I think that's a. <laughs> worthwhile cause man i i uh i respect that i applaud that and i applaud you for everything that you've done i love the fact that you got completely out of the business you weren't going to do it anymore you got back into it and now are reaping the benefits of one of the hard work but are also uh you know successful in what you're doing i think it's amazing man that's a great story and you're putting out great drumming content into the world so we thank you for that I appreciate it, man. And I love what you do, man. I love, I love this podcast. I, I love it. that. It's, I mean, it's something that I wish I'd have had growing up. If I could have turned on the radio and literally just ingested, like you have enough content that I could have spent most days just, you know, for a year ingesting the content from mm-hmm. players that I looked up to and admired, like the, but people are growing up in now. I mean, I would have, I grew up in nowhere, Mississippi. I had to travel 30, 40 minutes to get to my drum teacher. Right. You know, like <laughs> I, there was no internet though. I didn't, I didn't know there was a drumming world out there. I just knew that I liked to bang on things. And that when I was 15, I locked my, my door at my birthday party and played the green day album with a friend of mine, you know, like mm-hmm. that's all I knew. And the fact that you can just turn on the equivalent of a radio that you carry in your pocket and, get advice and stuff from guys like Daniel Glass or Stanton Moore or my old teacher that I was paying, you know, like yeah. 50, 60 bucks a week to go to, like just free, great content. It just blows my mind. So the resource that you're making available to people, just man, hands down, I commend you for it. It's, it's incredible. And well, I really do appreciate what you, you do for I the community. It. I appreciate it. And like, I mean, it, it sort of came out of necessity, you know, you want to, you sort of want to scratch your own itch and you say, I want to meet yeah. with all these people and get this great information, but I'm sure that other people want to hear this information too. So let's record it and, uh, and <laughs> let's put it out there. So I appreciate awesome, that. I love well, it. Well, thanks for being a part of it. Now you are now, uh, you know, you're now a part of the podcast officially and forever. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat. And again, thank you for, for everything you do for the drumming community. You bet, Nick. It's great talking to you, man. Cool, man. Likewise. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. That was Steven Taylor. You can check him out at stevensdrumshed.com. And also, again, I mentioned earlier that I've been doing a lot of Instagram live videos. If you want to participate in those, you want to get questions answered or just interact with me and the community, a great way to do that is follow Drummer's Resource on Instagram. It's just at Drummer's Resource. And I'm doing these live 
these live Instagram feeds a lot. So uh, they're really cool. It's a great way for us to interact and it is a great way to cover specific topics. And just like I said, this is a one-way conversation on the podcast because it's just me talking and you listening, or I hope you're listening. Uh, but it, it I, I don't, I'm not getting any feedback from you. I can't, I can't talk to you. So, but I can do that on Instagram live. So check it out. Follow drummers resource at drummers resource. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. I love you and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.